Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be able to have those of you joining us online and um, a special good morning to, to you. For those of you here in the room, uh, even better. Let me just encourage you, if you're still tuning in online, it would be even better to be in the room, really, truly. As we finish out our sermon series on vision and values, my subject this morning is having a relentless faith. Relentless faith. But before I dive into the message, let me just say, Easter is just around the corner. And can I just appeal to you, challenge you, encourage you to be in church for Easter? I think that's a really wonderful time to be in church altogether. I know that the clocks have changed this morning and we're perhaps all finding ourselves a little more bleary-eyed and uh, less glad to see the morning than other mornings. Or if, like me, you're not a morning person, you're never glad to see the morning and this is the worst morning of the year. But it's good to be in church and it's good to talk about having a relentless faith. I've got a couple of stories to tell you, uh, but as I dive into my, my message this morning, let me just say, I was sharing some, some Bible stories recently, and uh, a young person hadn't realized that the stories that I was sharing came from the Bible as I got to share some stories. And I just think we have this wonderful book of stories and so this morning, I just want to share a couple of stories with you. Two stories, in fact, and um, just an encouragement. So my first story comes from Second Kings. This is when you reach down the side of the sofa and, no, I'm kidding, not find your Bible from last week, but find it from yesterday morning, I hope. And uh, Second Kings 13 is where we're headed. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story or read the entire passage for you this morning, but I'm, I'm drawing on the story from 2 Kings 13, verses 14 to 20. And let me give you a little context. You see, this, this story picks up right in the middle of a story. Some of my favorite movies pick up a story right in the middle of a story. It's a great way to start a story, isn't it? The story has been going on for a while, and, and this is one of these stories. And the story starts like this. It says, now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die. That is a punchy start to a story. You see, the peril starts right away, and it builds from there. It says that the king, King Joash, went before him crying calling on him as his father, panicking. Scholars suggest perhaps this is because he's concerned that he's going to lose this great man of God, this great advisor, this person that he needs. Others say he's really just sad to be losing such a significant person, uh, a person that God has blessed and is going to be a great loss to all of the people. Personally, I think it's probably both. 
But you see, Elisha doesn't offer him a word of sympathy or encouragement. And sometimes our faith doesn't need a word of sympathy or encouragement. It needs a word of faith spoken to it. And so as King Joash is is falling to pieces, Elisha says, take my bow and arrows. And so he drew the bow and Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastwards. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. Elisha said, that's the Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Syria. You're going to fight them. And you're going to fight them until you've made an, an end of them. And then he said, take the arrows, the rest of the arrows, not the one that's been shot. And he says, strike the ground with them. And he strikes the ground and he struck three times and stopped. And Elisha was angry with him and said to him, you should have, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down your enemy until you'd made an end of it, until they'd stopped coming. And then Elisha dies. A story within a story. You see, Elisha has succeeded Elijah. And Elisha, Elisha's request of Elijah is that he would have a double portion of the blessing that was on him in his life. And Elijah warns him, he says, you know, the thing that you ask is a weighty thing. Because the, the blessing is an equal weight to the burden. There's always a blessing and a burden. And so here we have Elisha offering instruction, offering instruction about how to find the blessing of God and the burden. The burden is that you have to get up and fight. And the king relents. That truth that had been spoken to Elisha, I wonder if perhaps Joash simply didn't know it. But I suspect he did. I suspect he did know that he was going to have to strike again and again and again. And again and again and again. And I don't know what was going on in his mind. Whether that was, whether that was fear. And he needed someone to stir him up in a relentless faith. To put his faith in God. To remind him that you're going to have to go and go and go and go and go and go. You're going to have to keep going if you want to do the things of God. You can't stop. You can't stop short. I think this is a wonderful message to the church in season. You can't afford to stop short of God's provision in your life. This moment in our shared lives amongst two years of uncertainty, heartache, and struggle, don't stop short of the glory of God. That's what I want to say to each person in our church. In fact, I intend to. I'm going to be calling you. If I haven't phoned you already, expect a phone call. A phone call is coming. I want to encourage you. I want to speak faith to you. I want to challenge you that you don't stop short of the plan and the promise of God. In fact, I encourage us all to do this. Let's stir a little bit of faith amongst one another. We don't want to be like King Joash, stopping short. 
We want to have a faith that matches the challenge of God upon our lives. And you see, the thing that when I first read this story, when I first heard this story, I thought, how has this guy not got it? How has he missed the point? Because the thing is, the victory belongs to the Lord. You've heard that said in church, I'm sure. The victory belongs to the Lord. Shoot, and he shot. He's just been told, shoot your shot. That's the victory of the Lord. And now to get up and do your part, strike the ground. And in striking the ground, he stops short because the victory of God doesn't stop short. The arrow was shot, it went out the window. The thing that stopped short was the servant of God. Some people suggest this is apathy. Others suggest it's a a lack of courage. I think both of those things affect the church today. When I went to seminary, I wrote an entrance entrance essay. It's part of the admissions process. And the question that you are asked to answer is what is one of the greatest challenges facing the church today? More than 10 years ago now, I wrote that apathy was one of the greatest challenges facing the church today. And in this cultural moment, this shared season that we're living in, this moment together, I think that that has never been more true. Some say it's apathy that led to him falling short. Others say it was a lack of courage. God's won the victory and the people of God are lacking courage. Some say he, he didn't strike the ground more times because he didn't want to fight that many battles. And in doing so, he relented. He stepped back from the promise of God, away from his, his destiny, God's design, and fell short. You should have struck five or six times. I think many of us hope that when we get to heaven, the Lord will say, welcome, my good and faithful servant. How disappointing if the Lord's word to you is, you should have struck five or six times. Close, but not quite. You've come up short. You've left me wanting more from you. It's easy to be lacking in courage. But the relentlessness of the demands upon our life, the challenges that are all around, aren't going away. But neither is Jesus. You see, for the king, he's been promised a victory by God's servant. For us, we've been promised a victory by God himself. God made flesh. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
If you think Joash is a fool for stopping short, how much worse for one of us who lives in the light of Christ? And what does stopping short look like in our lives? No one's handing you a handful of arrows, or at least I don't think they are. But what about grace? What about faithfulness? What about taking what's in here and putting it in here? Moving head knowledge to heart knowledge. Relentless faith would have been to have struck and to keep striking the ground until the victory was won. Definitively won. My question is, are you winning the spiritual battles in your life? Are you walking in the ways of the Lord? Are you trusting the Lord's promise of victory for your life? Let me ask that another way. When did you last have a quiet time? You know, those two questions are the same question. When did you last take a moment to be with the Lord? When did you last gather amongst his people? When did you last gather as church? When did you last share your faith? We're called to love God, to love one another, and to make disciples. That's how we strike the ground. We love God. We love one another. We love our neighbor as ourselves. And we go out into all the world making disciples. We can't afford to stop short. We're not just called to strike the ground one time, two times, three times, but every single day repeatedly again and again. It isn't enough to do it once and to call it quits. It isn't enough to do it yesterday, but not today. The challenge is to take up our cross and follow. Hebrews 10, 32 to 36 says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You're listening to the sermon this morning, so I assume that you have some measure of confidence in God. Whether that's a questioning faith, taking tentative steps, trying to understand the ways of the Lord amongst the struggles of life, the struggles of being church together, the struggles of just being. 
or whether you've got a strong faith. A confidence in the Lord. The admonition is the same. Do not give up on the Lord. Do not throw away your confidence. Because with it comes a great reward. You have need of endurance. You need to be relentless in practicing your faith, in pursuing God. Because when you do have done the will of God, you're going to receive that promise. The promise that the best is yet to come. The promise that God's victory over your life, over death, over sin and shame, Christ's victory is before us. So don't throw away your confidence. You see, the context that this, that this is being spoken into is one of persecution. This is being spoken to a persecuted church. So I think these words are more than apt for us today. I know things are sometimes a bit hard, but they're not that hard. I joked that this is the worst Sunday morning of the year because the clocks change. You know, across the church in the UK, this Sunday morning, most people recognize is one of the lowest attendance Sunday mornings in all of the year. Not just here, I mean across the whole of the church. Isn't that mad? This Sunday morning, the day the clocks spring forwards is one of the lowest attendance Sunday mornings of the year. And I don't mean because people waltz through the door about now, 11.33. Growing up, the church I grew up in, this Sunday once a year, people would walk through the doors late and people would do that slow clap. With hindsight, I think that's it's pretty dreadful, really. <laughs> It's not good. <laughs> it's not encouraging. <laughs> but it was just a way to remove the tension from the moment, to make a joke out of it and move on. What have our lives come to that the attendance on Sunday mornings, the day the clocks go forwards, the attendance suffers? I know there's lots of good reasons for people to be out at the moment. Perhaps you're unwell. Perhaps you've got COVID. Whatever the case may be, be assured of our prayers, but also hear this challenge. We have got so comfortable in our lives that the slightest discomfort, the slightest inconvenience can become overwhelming to us. We give in so quickly. We compromise so readily. What standard are we setting for the young amongst us? What standard are we encouraging to those of long-standing faith to hold to? What is our perspective 
on how living a life for Christ looks. What measure of inconvenience, what measure of sacrifice are we prepared to live with? And so this passage talks about don't throw away your confidence. The admonition isn't a call to suffering, but to relentless hope, endurance, and faith. Confidence and patience in the face of adversity. That's what a relentless faith looks like. Joy in suffering. That's what a relentless faith looks like. And we can't relent because the victory belongs to the Lord. We can't stop short because God has already won the war. The battles might rage on all around, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I watched a a program with a huge battle scene in recently. The battle had been raging on for a long while and the The day had been won by one side largely. The victory was pretty much secure. And one of the leaders in this army turned to the leader of the army and said, what can I do to ensure that this day is won for you? Isn't that the challenge to us as believers? To keep turning to the Lord and saying, what can I do to ensure that this day is won for you? It isn't just about Christ winning the war. Christ came to redeem the lost. It isn't just that we give our lives to him and then forget about him. It's that we give our lives to him each and every day. His grace and mercy are new every morning, but so too are the pressures and struggles of life. And so we have to keep coming back to him. We have to keep letting him win the victory in our lives. And we have to be complicit with that. When did you last have a quiet time and spend time with the Lord? When did you last encourage a brother or sister in Christ? When did you last share your faith with someone who does not know? What can I do to win the day for the Lord? Spend time with him. What can I do to win the day for the Lord? Encourage your brothers and sisters. What can I do to win the day for the Lord? Share hope with someone who is perishing. You can't make someone a Christian, but you can share faith. Lastly, I wanted just to point us to John nineteen sixteen to 24. And, and this is a story that we're going to spend more time in in the coming weeks because it's the Easter story. It says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. We're obviously talking about Pilate. 
And it goes on, it says, So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to the bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. We're called to have a relentless faith. Can you imagine if Jesus had relented? Where would we be today? If he had relented in bearing his cross to Calvary's hill. If he had stopped en route to Golgotha and called down heaven's armies. What if the sign over his head, the insult, had just been one thing too many? And he decided, no, I won't have that. A truth made a mockery. Or if dividing his clothes, he said, no, this is too much. These are my things. The indignity and the suffering of the cross. Carrying your cross. The sign over his head. The dividing of the loss of his earthly possessions. Not many of us will have an opportunity to test our faith to that extent. And that is a small mercy. You see, Jesus is relentless in his purpose, pursuing our salvation and his death. He's relentless in his journey to the cross. Not just on his way to be crucified, but every step of his life, knowing that that was to be 
his portion. That through his death and resurrection, we might have life. We started thinking about pounding the ground, those arrows smashing into the floor. What of the feet of Christ? Trudging, plodding, one foot after another. Complicit in the plans of God. We've spent a few weeks considering what it is to to be a part of our church, the vision and values. And I think re- relentless is a high call. But I think it's no less than the call of Christ to which we have responded. We need to be relentless in our pursuit, in our faith. Because we have an enemy who is relentless. And we have a saviour who is relentless. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about the the benefit of being a diverse church, multi-generational, multi-ethnic. I think that's a wonderful insight into what heaven's going to be like. We've talked about what it means to be united in living and loving one another as a church. One of the great blessings of the, the person of the Holy Spirit is the way that he unites us. He helps us find unity together. That we're missional, that the mission of God has been given to us, the Great Commission, that we're complicit in God's plan to save the lost, that we're encouraging, relentlessly encouraging. What a thing to be. It's wonderful to be encouraged. We've got the opportunity to encourage one another. Word and spirit, full of the promise of God, drawing close to the counsellor, the spirit of God with us, the word of God, challenging us, teaching us, relentless in courage, pioneering, brave and purposeful, generous, relentlessly generous, in the face of uncertainty, for the purposes of God. I think that together we're growing a missional, diverse, courageous and generous church. A church that holds on to the word and spirit, full of purpose and passion for the Lord and his mission that is encouraging us in our relationship with God and one another, that relentlessly loves the lost from death to life in Christ. We can't stop now. We can't be discouraged now. We can't stop short. 
We need to remember the confidence that we have. Don't throw away the confidence you have. But just as Jesus is relentless in his purpose in pursuing our salvation to the cross through resurrection and seated on high, Let's follow our suffering saviour. Our triumphant Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have made a way for us to hope and trust in you. I thank you that the victory belongs to the Lord. I thank you that your promise, your provision, your your glory, your victory, that's what we're called to share in. And so as we keep pressing on, Father, whether that feels like a victor's march or a little bit of faithful plodding, I thank you that the victory belongs to you. And I thank you that you you ask us to join you in your victory by practicing relentless faith, holding on to the confidence we have Father, not that that we mustn't doubt, but that doubt leads to questions which lead to faith. Thank you for stirring our faith. Thank you for challenging us in in our calling, in our pursuit of you. Father, seize our hearts. Drive out apathy and a lack of courage. We want to know you. Father, we bless and praise your name. Have your way with us. Amen.